Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the just when you thought it was safe to get back in the water to my bigger boat, poorly thought out 3D sequel, and that one where Michael Caine literally hears a shark roar after it gets electrocuted. The shark literally jumps out of the damn water and roars like a monster. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hello, hello. I'm doing good. Hello, nailing the cold read. Right. The cold read. You've never read that before. Okay, that was two weeks ago, A. B, I don't even remember reading that two weeks ago. C, it was still really freaking hard. That was one of the hardest you've ever made, actually. I, uh, I threw in some references to our, our problems from last week, but you've been, you've been a little spicy, so I, I stealthily took them out. <laughs> oh, you should have left them in there. I would have laughed. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm at the point where my problems are now just funny. Okay. So, so uh, apologies to everybody. This episode's coming two weeks after we intended it to because, uh, lo and behold, my computer just decided to switch audio inputs and recorded the whole thing through my webcam microphone. So, joy of all joys. No, it's not joyful. It was really irritating, and I cursed a lot last week, but that's okay. We're past that now, and here we are. <laughs> last week? <laughs> okay. Oh. So, maybe I've been cursing a lot. Lately. It's been a frustrating day. <laughs> Why are you poking the bear, Robert? Because the bear's so cute. That's adorable, and I'm going to allow it. All right. Moving right along. As always, let's kick this episode off to a with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, and my curse words are flowing. And, uh, and speaking about how delightful you are, Jonathan, happy national bald is beautiful day. As a bald man, I'll be the first to say it is, in fact, beautiful, and I might also add highly aerodynamic. Yeah, yeah. So on September 13th, we honor the noggins without hair. Being bald brings beauty all its own. And you use that hashtag, National Bald is Beautiful Day, on your social medias. As the official bald guy of the podcast, let me be the first to say um, thank you for all this extra attention. Bald is, in fact, beautiful. <laughs> all right, kick us off. Just like the complete lack of drag my lack of hair creates, let's move this show right along to our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've gotten off of our shelves and into our digital media players and or video game machines and or laps or computers, and we have consumed, and most importantly, let them into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to get started today? Movies and TV. Let's just go down the list in a weird order, because that would, I guess, be board games. But I want to start at movies and TV. Well, kicking us off in style, the new Marvel show is out, and it is delightful. It is She-Hulk. Oh, no spoilers, because I'm, I'm, I'm one show behind, and I'm trying to catch up real desperately. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can watch both. Uh, She-Hulk's nice because it's only a half-hour episode, so it, it, it's not an hour long. It, it goes by pretty fast. Like, just when you're kind of settled in, you're like, yeah, this, this is a great show. It ends, and you're like, oh. Okay, then. <laughs> I, I'm very much looking forward to it. I've heard nothing but good things. Um, and so far, my experience with Miss Marvel has been lovely. Um, that's what I'm watching right now. I'm two episodes into Miss Marvel, and I've got to say, it just, it's taking all my favorite parts from Spider-Man, um, the first of the, the, what is that? No Way Home? No, not No Way Home. Uh, 
Homecoming. Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming. It, it, it's, it's all that, that teenage angst and awkwardness um, wrapped up in just one of the loveliest characters I've ever met. Uh, I mean, she's just lovely and is a father of three daughters, like somebody I can point to and go like, look, it's going to be okay. You're not alone. Here's a girl that's going through the, a lot of the same stuff. It's just awesome. It's really well done. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was quite fond of that show too. It, uh, it definitely kind of had a vibe of a, of a Disney teen show. As I was watching it, it does. It, it does. It, uh, it, it occurred to me this this show is not aimed anywhere in my general direction, which is fun. But you know, it's not in mine either. It just yeah, makes no, me happy no. because it's it's positive representation on a variety of different subjects, and like I don't understand the people that were hating on it. Like legitimately, y'all are just being gatekeeping trolls. Stop. Like you're you're missing the damn point. Yeah, they're they're hating on She Hulk too. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't doubt it. Hey, 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 gang, do you want to not have comic book movies again? Do you remember what the the eighties and most of the nineties were like? Can we not go back there? So stop, stop being jerks. You, you you didn't like Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher? Okay, yes, I did for all the wrong reasons <laughs> because it's terrible. Or uh, was it Treat Williams who was doing Captain? No, 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 Ye- no. It was the guy. No, f- Treat Williams was in the. No, no. It was it was Re- Reb. Oh, it was it was uh, it's that beefcakey guy from Space Mutiny. My favorite episode of MST3K. What's that guy's name? You've you've lost me at this point. Reb Brown. Reb Brown played Captain America. Mm. Oh yeah. In the in the TV. Oh, it's so sweet. We could. You don't want to go back to that. Red Brown is a is a acting genius, I guess. Did you see the the thing that Brie Larson said because of the trolls and stuff? Mm-mm. And she was at the D twenty three Expo, and she was um, talking about the the new movie that's coming out, the Marvels. Yeah, and you know she's coming back to be Captain Marvel, kind of like a major part of that. And not to mention they're also do they just did the Captain Marvel sequel, I think. Um, no, no, the, the Marvels is the Captain Marvel sequel. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, and Miss Marvel and Photon are all, all three of them are in it. It's heartbreaking because somebody, a reporter asked her how much longer she'll be playing Captain Marvel in the MCU, and she responded, I don't know, does, any, doesn't, does anyone want me to do it again? She's only half kidding when she says that. It's really upsetting because she got so much crap uh, for doing that movie, and I don't understand why because... Captain Marvel was fun and it was great. And it's like, then when you look at the crap that Miss Marvel's getting and you look at the crap that She-Hulk's getting, I mean, it's like, stop guys. Like, this is how we lose a wonderful thing. Well, they would just say, well, that's good. Cause that crowd is also in D and D and they're like, you know, D and D being so, so popular is bad for it. And it's like, shut up. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, folks, let, let's, let, and this is, I sincerely doubt that any of our listeners are are part of this. But, you know, use these talking points. Engage people. This stuff's a business. If it doesn't make money, they stop making it. It being popular is a good thing. You get more. You get more of the thing that you love because it's popular and people are buying it. Yeah, but... Why is that so terrible? It's been around for so long and been so popular for so long. I think people forget about that. I mean, both the MCUs... Like- Botulism's been around for so long. You don't see anybody upset? It's not making a return. Botulism's not popular. But, like, I think 
Well, exactly. Uh, That's what we don't want it to be popular. We don't want it to come back. Well, but the MCU is 12 years old at this point, and there's people who probably legitimately don't remember the the, the pre good comic book movie times because that's we're talking like. All right, a, well, then, then, then play them this. OK, brace yourself. Let me tell you about life before 1997. We didn't have good comic book movies. All we got was weird schlocky stuff that didn't make any damn sense and was generally so bad that it was just made to keep keep a hold of rights for a little while. And then we got Blade and Blade completely changed the way everybody looked at comic book movies and made them super awesome and made them like anchored in reality. And that led to X-Men, which led to the wondrous time that we live in now where the nerds won and we get new Star Wars and Marvel crap every single year. And that's a pretty damn good place to be. But there was a time when we didn't have this. And unless you want us to return to that. But Jonathan, just look at what you said, 1997. I mean, that's 25 years. There's people who weren't born then that are probably. Well, those people need to have their permission to speak revoked. Right. But they, I mean, that's the thing. They just don't get it. They don't get what they're going to lose if they win. Send them to me. I'll show them. I'll show them. You know what? No. Let's cue up that 80s, 80s Captain America movie. Yeah, no, that's seriously what... You know, the one where he's on the motorcycle and just magically, like, jumping over things? Yeah, Red Brown. I know I know who Red Brown is. Yeah, no, but they, yeah. that's the thing. They just... they People just don't understand. It's been here for so long that like, people don't remember the before times when it was... Sh- shall bad. we show them a, a, a bootleg of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie? Mmm, it's good stuff. It's good oh, stuff. Oh, God, it's really good. I mean, I like it for not the right reasons, but yeah, oh... No, I, I, <laughs> that's the only way, way to like it, Robert. I, that's the only way to like it. I don't know. I just, I don't know how to talk to people like that because like they, they literally, they'll literally say it, it, it would be good if it wasn't as popular again. It's like, you don't have any comprehension of what it was like before. Like, you know, the, the, yeah. this crap is happening everywhere and it's really pissing me off. Uh, it's happening in formula one too. Oh, so, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. Especially because you mentioned like an American company bought it. I'm sure there's old guard yeah, elitists well, who are so like, oh, li- Liberty Media bought it. They 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 started marketing it better. They they went into a deal with Netflix and got Drive to Survive made, which has made Formula One's popularity, especially in the United States, absolutely explode. And now all of a sudden you've got these people coming out of the woodwork. Oh, well, that's not my Formula One. Right. Well, but but it's. Get out of here, Honestly, man. Honestly, though, it's not. Like, think about the the race you were telling me about in, what, Florida, where they couldn't get water in their fake bay, so they just painted it blue, and then you could rent seats on the boats, and they had them in mud. Okay, granted, that's like the most America Super Bowl <laughs> that I've ever right, heard right. of, too. I, I'm right there with you. I really am, but... My point is, my point is, like, uh, you know, it, it, it's nostalgia, and it's like wanting... It's, it's essentially, actually, sir, it's conservatism. It's wanting something in the past back because you think it's better than now, even though it probably isn't. It's just, you don't remember the before times because they were a long oh, time but, ago. But see, I do remember the before times. And, and let me tell you, like, I don't want to go back to the eighties and nineties where I could only get one race a year in the United States. And I had to, I had to literally hope that my family would keep the videotapes with the other races on them that were broadcast in Spanish because they were recorded in Argentina because we only got the Mon- uh, Monte Carlo Grand Prix in the United States. Because I couldn't afford cable. But like I said, I Jonathan, I don't know how to talk to those people because they, they don't remember. And they think it's it'd be better that way. And it's like, it's not. It sucked. It sucks so I, bad. I remember clearly, clearly the, the, that I would have to imagine what the race was like because my dad would be kind enough to cut the, the, the recap of the race out of the newspaper so that I could read it. That is not the same as watching cars go around a track on TV. I agree. 
I, I, I'm not, I just, it's like, I don't know how to talk to these people. It just that, makes me mad. I man. know. Like, I know. it's just more of what you love. Like, just, why don't you just embrace it and, and welcome the new fans in with open arms and say, hey, let me, let me also tell you about this great history that you missed. And I want you to watch this too. And I want you to love this too. Here, but here's the thing. People, people miss the part because they can't remember the before times. So they think it's like, oh, I got plenty back in the day. It's like, no, no, you didn't. There's more now. And sure, maybe some of it is not what you want. But you know what? You're still probably getting more <laughs> right now than you were before. But they, they just can't comprehend that. You know what I mean? Like, because like, you're right. Like, okay, so you want to go back to the things where you'd only get one race a year? And they'd probably say it's like, oh, no, it'd be on streaming or whatever. And it's like, you know, streaming. No, no it wasn't because we didn't have streaming. Well, no, no, we but, no, but that's what they'll say. And it's like, well, no, it won't be because, you know, nobody's going to pick it up if it's not popular. It's a business. You know, if not, if I, Netflix I is a good four channels and I had to twist a knob to make the the the, the uh, antenna point at, at the channel I wanted to watch because otherwise it wouldn't come in. Right, right. But yeah, but again- Jonathan, they, they, they don't remember. They don't remember. They don't realize that they're getting more now, even if some of the stuff they're getting is stuff they don't want. The stuff that they like, like, for example, let's talk about Star Trek real quick, even though that's not on my list at all. Like the new Star Trek shows, they've been pretty hit and miss. We've, we've talked smack on Discovery here a little bit, but you know, honestly, like up I'm until glad I have it. I'm still one. Yeah. I'm glad I have Star Trek back in my life. And secondly, like strange new worlds and lower decks are exactly what I want out of Star Trek. And I've been getting it. And that's far superior to the nothing we've had since Voyager went off the air, you know? So no enterprise. Don't oh, enterprise. enterprise. Yeah. Well, enterprise only half counts, but <laughs> the last season was good though. Anyway, you get my point. Last season was phenomenal. Last but, but, but you get my point. But, like but even then you're, you're right. I mean, we went like what? Oh, five to 20. Yeah. Without anything? Or 19. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's, yeah, people... It, it was more than a decade. That's what's important. But, but that's the point. Like, okay. Disco- just, just like you and I went more than a decade without Star Wars stuff. Right. Like, right, hey, folks, Return of the Jedi wrapped up in 84. We didn't have anything until 97. Oh, man. Remember when Heir to the Empire came out and people lost their minds? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it was like... it was. Do you, you remember when the N64... Um, mm-hmm. Shadows of the Empire? Launch game, Shadows of the Empire came out, mm-hmm. and it was a direct sequel that, that nestled in between Jedi and Empire, and everybody lost it, and everybody had a, couple of that, uh, a copy of that book. I mean, they even put out a soundtrack CD for a movie that didn't exist. And that game was garbage. <laughs> the game was hot garbage, except for the last mission, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, but but, but, but that's the thing, Jonathan. Like, they don't... It, it's It's... Y'all don't even understand, man. Like you're getting fresh Star Wars stuff every year or two, and it's at a quality that that far eclipses what we had in the past. And it's just never enough. And, and, like, here, oh, and man, here's the thing. So and here's the thing. Like, okay, so you don't like the new movies? Fine. Do you like the Mandalorian? Like, like having the Mandalorian, if nothing else, is still better than the nothing we had for ten years. And that's the point. Like, they can't remember there was a period of time where nothing existed or very little. And it's like, okay, so it's like. Do you want to go back to a time where you get one movie aimed at you and it's the only thing that comes out every like two to four years? Or it's like, oh, there's all of this Star Wars or there's all of this, you know, Marvel movies or whatever. And sure, some of them aren't aimed at you and you're maybe you just shouldn't watch them. It's fine, but or it's just better. watch them and 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 realize that this is just more of a good thing. I don't know. Anyway, like Miss Marvel's not aimed at me. I fully acknowledge that. 
But I, I, I'm so happy to be watching it okay. because it's another hero coming off the pages. But you know what? And it makes me totally but happy. But you know what? If if you don't want to watch a show like Miss Marvel, don't. Like if Miss, yeah, if, there's, there's, don't take it away from the people that love it. And and, and it's not like we haven't we, we haven't gotten movies. It's not like we don't have a Loki show or you know something. It, it, yeah, there's there's always something on the horizon right now where like there were literal years of life where it was like decades yeah decades nothing on the right like we're not talking about just years we're talking about more than a decade for both of the our, some of our favorite properties yeah anyway the, the, for god's sakes it was what almost 40 years before i got a good dune movie Anyway, that, that y'all don't take that away from me. That that that's the point. Like they they they're looking at the past with these rose colored glasses of like, oh, all the media was better then, and it's like, yeah, but you're not remembering just the sheer amount of time between things when it wasn't popular. And it's like, I'm I is do I I, I haven't bought every D and D book in, in quite a long time. You know, I don't need to. But you know what? I'm glad it's popular. I'm glad. Like I don't want to. I don't want to run. I have no interest in running Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. It is not my jam. It's it's not anything I'm interested in. But you know what? I I know what it's about. And and if somebody wanted to run it for me, I'd play it. But you know, like that book's not for me. It's not something I want to do with my DMing time. But you know what? It, it's better than not having anything. And, you know, other stuff comes out. You know, like I'm looking forward to the giant book, and I'm looking forward to Planescape. And it's like. You know, it's fine. It's fine. To, you don't to have to. Summarize. You don't have. You don't have to consume everything. If you no. You know, if you're if you don't like something, just don't watch it and watch the crap you like. It's really to easy. Summarize for everybody. More of our favorite stuff is good. There's no aspect of that that is negative. More people in your favorite thing is good. There's no aspect of that that it's negative. Instead of complaining about the change or complaining about the direction, embrace it like what you like, don't like what you don't like, and celebrate the wins and the fact that this is even on. We live in a golden age of being a nerd. It's a wonderful thing, and don't, don't gatekeep. There's no need for it. Welcome everybody in with open arms. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. If if we weren't in this golden age of RPGs, I wouldn't have gotten Aquilare, which was... Dude, uh, don't even get me started on the RPG front. Like, oh, like, I know. We have such amazing diversity in our RPG lineup now. Yeah. Like, you you and I could literally sit down, play a different game every single night of the week. 365 play, days a year. 365 days worth of, of different systems, have a great time each night in a completely different universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, for God's sakes, did did I know that I needed to have a, a an RPG based on telenovelas? Had no idea I needed that. You know what? I need that in my life. Don't take that away from me. Don't gatekeep. Anyway, yeah, agreed. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. We'll be here all week. If you have any questions, please feel free to submit it. That's all. I think we that's that's a hell of an intro. I'm just saying that's a hell of an intro, Robert. Okay. Well, our work here is done. <laughs> then I'll shotgun through the last of my stuff. Keep. I'm still watching the real Ghostbusters. It's holy crap. We didn't even get through through. I know TV. Yeah. <laughs> Still watching real Ghostbusters. It's great. Uh, I watch. I I picked up the Blu-ray from the library of of the Ghostbusters because I hadn't. I my old copy was before they remastered it for the 35th anniversary, and I'm like, oh crap! I need to go buy a new oh, copy. The remaster's so pretty too. I know. I now I know. <laughs> and knowing yeah, is how they, I know they, stuff. They did such a good job of cleaning up that print. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lower Decks is back, and I'm happy. I like Lower Decks. Spoilers because you haven't seen it yet. And I watched the first episode of The Rings of Power. And oh, yeah, no spoilers there either. Yeah, it, I'm so behind on TV. It's it's uh, I'm hoping it sorts itself out. The first episode felt a lot like the first Spider-Man movie. I was kind of enjoying it, but there's 
kind of a mess going on. So hopefully we can. We'll, 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 we'll see. We'll see. Yep. So what else, what else have you been watching? Um, I've been watching the boys. I'm, uh, actually, I, I, yeah, I think I'm on the last episode. I got one more episode of the boys to finish up. Um, I did shotgun for all mankind season three, which was amazing. And that show is like, who knew that we would get an alternate history show that would last multiple seasons and totally be amazing. Highly recommended. It's a reason to get Apple TV for a month or two. Well, that and Ted Lasso. Oh my God, Ted Lasso. Oh, I, I want that show to be back, but I know I'm going to cry in every episode. Like that show has, ne- I've never had a show that makes me so happy and yet cry every damn episode. Like I don't know how it does it. It, it legitimately just like tortures me in all the right ways. It's phenomenal. The, the, some of the best TV I've ever seen. All right. Um, like I said, I'm watching Miss Marvel. I'm absolutely in love with it. I think she is a lovely addition to the the Marvel universe. And it is so such an expertly handled character where they're, they're, they're building her up and she is unique and her background is unique and is an interesting peek at a different world. That's not just a giant stereotype. It's just, it's lovely. It's lovely in every way. And if you've got daughters, sit down and watch Jonathan, it. Jonathan, uh, when you get to, I believe it's episode five, remind me to talk to you. Okay. Okay. There's something that happens in episode five. That's, that's don't, no more. Yeah, no. I'm on, it, I'm on three. It is a, I'm on it, halfway through. Three. It is a spoiler, so we won't talk. But there's a, there's a thing that happens in episode five that's worth a chat about. It's it's an interesting thing. All right. Uh, and then F1 uh, finally returned from its uh, summer break. So uh, after the, the about the first half of the season, they they take a month off for summer break and they come back for three quick races in a row before taking three weeks off again. Don't ask me why. It, it doesn't make any sense to me either. But it is the way it is. It's the way it's always been. And um, yeah, I missed it. And it came back and we had two bangers and kind of a boring race, but that's okay uh, because this has just been a lovely season and the silly season this year. Silly season is is what happens about midway through the year. People start to realize, oh, you know, the next season's right around the corner and they need to start securing contact uh, contracts and drivers start shuffling around and there's all these rumors. And this has been like a silly season for the record books. It's had drama. It's had lies and deceit. It's had backstabbing, like, oh my goodness, it is a telenovela. It is amazing. If, if you like drama, watch F1 just for the silly season. Like, don't even watch the races if you're not into the races, but the silly season's insane. Like, it is a level of silly, crazy insane. Intriguing. Um, and yeah, that's uh, movies and TV for me. Should we move on to reading? Yes. I finished a book. <laughs> yeah buddy what'd you finish it's called the beast of london and uh check it out jonathan uh some lady i forgot her name i should have written that down okay so it's the beast of london by ld goffigan uh she took this novel you may have heard me talk about once or twice it's called dracula and uh she decided to redo it because you know why not <laughs> and uh I got to say, um, it's kind of funny. So I've been, I've been fooling around with Goodreads of late. And so I put that book in there that I write it. And it's like, hey, you like you like The Beast of London? You must love all these other romance novels. And I'm like, no, you don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I've, I've got like 75 books in my list. And a good like 15 of them are Dracula related. And it's like, you haven't figured out what the common thread is between some of the stuff I read yet. I'm just, I'm just saying, algorithm, you stupid. So yeah, this, this lady decides to rewrite Dracula. 
And um, first off, I'm, I'm having a surprisingly good time with it. Uh, you know how I, I really, really, really am like an elitist snob and I, it bugs me when people don't actually like, you know, read Dracula when they write sequels to it or whatever. This person, she obviously read the book really close and because she's kind of retelling the story and putting her own twist on it, because the vampires in this are much more akin to like 30 days a night vampires than like Dracula vampires, which Ooh, I like that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. But like she's using beats from the novel. And if you've read the novel, you know, certain things have expectations attached to them. And sometimes she subverts them and sometimes she embraces them. And it's it's actually very clever. Like, you know, it's obvious she read Dracula very closely and she's sort of playing with the plot a little bit. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. Isn't that the whole point of these sorts of books? Yeah, yeah. But I, I it's it's just it's just clever enough. And I always like Mina Harker being a badass. I, I That's my favorite kind of Mina Harker, and Mina Harker's being a badass in this, and it's very fun. They kind of recast the book a little bit. Uh, uh, Van Helsing is not an old dude. It's actually uh, Mina's ex-fiance. He's like a, uh, he was like the grad student that worked for her professor dad, and that's how they met. So, and she's, yeah, they were engaged for a little bit, and then her dad died because of vampires. And, blah. Um, and Jack Seward is a, a, a police detective now instead of a doctor. And Arthur, Arthur's still a rich guy that's married to Lucy, and bad things happen to her and stuff. But it's it's just, it's a it's a interesting take on Dracula. I, I like that that it it seems like they're actually paying attention to the 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 original plot. Right, right. That's a nice change of pace. Yeah. Based on what you've told me about these other books. That you <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was fun because like, you know, it, it was funny because the book was plotting along and, and it, basically Jonathan Harker in the, gets kidnapped by Dracula or I'm assuming it's Dracula. Um, they haven't actually confirmed that yet and gets taken to Castle Dracula. Why? I don't know. They haven't gotten into that yet. And so they're trying to figure out how to get there and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, they're, they, they get out of town and, th- and they're, they're talking about their travel plans and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go across on the ferry and yada, is yada. It blah, blah, blah. Or is it blah, 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 blah. And, but then like, it's like, oh, and here's our boat. It's the Demeter. And I'm like, oh, bad. Not, nothing good could come of getting on the Demeter. <laughs> and, and yeah, nothing, nothing good happens on the Demeter. It's good stuff. I, I kind of hate this trope, but again, I'm, I don't know why I'm enjoying this book as much as I am, but I, 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 I am. Um, you know that awful, awful thing that got introduced in the 90s where you have like the brooding heroic vampire that has full of self-loathing, you know, like Angel. Angel's the classic, right? Yeah, they threw that in the Dracula too. And ordinarily I would hate that with a passion, but like, again, she's obviously watched a lot of Angel because she's really channeling that with this with this vampire character. And I, I, I can't help but be amused because it just reminds me of watching stupid shows when I was a kid. And I'm like, oh, God, they're doing this. Vamp- I, I don't know. It's it's an exercise in nostalgia and maybe maybe slight like mental harm. But like, I don't know. I, I I'm finding this. You know, there's a place for that, though. There's a place. for. I, that. It's like I this book has things I, I legitimately hate in it and I'm finding it charming for some reason. And I don't understand why. But hey, you know what? <laughs> if you're enjoying it, that's all that matters. I know, I know. I but I can't fathom why I'm enjoying it. I just am. <laughs> so I don't know. But uh, it's a trilogy. I can't fathom why humankind would ever enjoy Twilight, and yet it sells billions of copies. And meanwhile, I just wonder where I went wrong with my life. So I get it. <laughs> Enjoy it. Love it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's the thing you love. That's all that matters. I, I yeah, and it's. I don't know. Anyway, I'm having if a good time. It makes you smile. Embrace it, baby. I, I, I'm, you go with I it. I am embracing. I'm just trying to figure out why I like it. I can't put a finger on it. I'm just, I'm just having fun. 
Well, tell you what, it's on the theme of vampires, so we'll 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 stick with me. Roll with it, baby. So I re- read Elseworlds Batman Volume Two, which collects all of the trilogy of Batman graphic novels where uh, he fights Dracula and then becomes a vampire. <laughs> do, do you know about these? Oh no, I I've not heard this. Oh oh. Allow me, allow me to fill you in here. I'll send you a link to it on Amazon so you can look at it. Yeah, yeah, it's a mini series. They did it in the '90s. Uh, the first one was just basically Batman versus Dracula, and then at the end of it, he becomes a vampire and he gets actual factual bat wings because he's the Batman. It's fun. Oh, that makes an odd bit of sense. <laughs> so anyway, spoiler alert, but this is an old comic book, so I don't care. By the end of it, he's like become like an awful vampire and he doesn't want to make more vampires. So he eats people and then just cuts their heads off. And so he's like lobbing heads at people constantly. It's hilarious. Um, but like, OK, now it's a party. <laughs> OK, but I loved I love the last the last uh, volume of it where he's like just evil freaking vampire, like lost his mind type thing. Because, OK, Jonathan, I want you to take all of the self-loathing. And, you know, like angst and whatnot that Batman has. Right. And then, yeah, and then I want, you. want you to take all of the self-loathing and angst that like Angel or Edward Cullen, one of those heroic brooding vampire guys have. Yeah, that's that's fair amount. OK. And I want you to take your Batman angst and multiply it by the vampire angst. And that's what vampire Batman turns into. And it's hilarious. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You said multiply? Multiply. Oh, it's so bad. Wow. That's a, it's, that is a, that's a lot of angst, man. That is a lot of angst. It was so awesome. He's just so like self-loathing. I hate the thing I've become. I'm not. It was so much fun. It was, it was a good series. The art is wonky as hell. Uh, I, I, that artist, I don't know if he just doesn't know how to draw or if he's got a very particular style, but uh, yeah, I still had a good time. Uh, I, the graphic novels, I don't know what they are. The, it, I, I don't know what the title is. It, it was Elseworlds Batman volume two. So it was all three of the vampire things where Batman fights vampires. It was fun. And I like those Elseworlds novels because they're their own contained things. So like, you know, people die in them, <laughs> you know, like nobody's got plot armor, baby. It's an Elseworlds product. Anybody can die. So <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, highly recommend if you get your paws on it. it. It's it's a fun little read, and it won't take you too long. It's a graphic novel. All right. Well, I, I did some reading as well. So I finished uh, Convergence, which is the new series by Craig Allenson, the guy that writes that expeditionary force that I read. Mm-hmm. And um, it's cool. It's a completely different thing. It's not science fiction at all. It's fantasy. Um, the main character is the last remaining wizard, and he doesn't know why or how magic works. He just was told that he was a wizard by his family and can do some real basic tricks. And there's some interesting lore going on. And um, what I like about it is just the character. Like, it it feels like a young guy that's lost. It's fun. Um, There's some really good internal dialogue. But more importantly, he comes across a dog that has been inhabited by the spirit of a wizard from ancient Babylon. And so now this dog talks. And like... The way they write the talking dog, it's very obvious that the, the the person that writes the books is very much a dog owner and lover because that is. Oh my god! Oh my god! Is it the dog from Up? Oh my god! Almost. Oh. In fact, a little bit better, oh. like a little, like a little brighter. He doesn't have like a Dory memory. Oh, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> like there's a whole there's a whole thing where like he's taking the dog for a walk, and and he's like, you can't just bark at other dogs. Well, what if he's an asshole? 
But you you don't know that. You haven't met him. No, I know that. I'm a dog. I know that. He's an asshole. Uh, I'm going to go poop on his lawn. Like, it's a whole, like, soliloquy like that. Uh, like, routinely. That's good. See, I, I have not watched... Um, Family Guy in a long time, but my favorite my favorite bit on that show was anytime Brian would act like a dog and like explain it. <laughs> yes, I, I I love those bits. And well, then you're gonna you you would love this character. You would love this book. It's called Convergence. It's from Craig Allenson. Look, I'm not gonna call it like literary greatness, but I am gonna call it fun, and I'm having fun. Um, I also read How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey, and um, Adrian Newey is an aerodynamicist. I would call him probably the single greatest thing to happen to automobile racing uh, ever. He has built so many championship-winning cars. His brain is otherworldly in terms of how it works. Like, this dude goes into his process. You know how we have all this computer-assisted drafting and stuff like that? Right. Yeah, he still just sits down at his drawing table and hand-draws the cars. And then he hands the hand draw the, the drawings off to a staff of like two or three people that he keeps busy. They're the ones that go and put it into CAD for him. <laughs> but like his brain is so tuned to the concepts of aerodynamics that his hand drawn cars win championship. There are there are pe- like hundreds of people on a team with with advanced degrees in engineering and fluid dynamics and all this other stuff. And ultimately, this dude is so preternaturally good at what he does that he just sits down at a drawing board and hand draws it. He goes into some of the stuff that they do to, to figure out like why a car is behaving the way they did. So he goes into how this car that, that they had built had a weird understeer that none of the computer modeling showed, right? Right. And they were trying to figure out, like, the computer says that the, the air should be doing this. Why is it failing? Why are we losing downforce? They manage to figure out that each individual micro-explosion of the fuel detonating inside the engine to push the piston down is causing a shockwave to come out the tailpipe, and they were running the exhaust over a wing to to cause an aerodynamic effect, and that shockwave was disrupting the air ever so slightly so that they were losing all this downforce. And so they put a resonator in the exhaust pipe to counteract that explosion and fix the problem and, you know, like end up with, with more downforce than they ever expected. Like that's the level of detail these guys go into. It, it is, it is absolutely a phenomenal read. Whether you're into F1 or not is inconsequential. This is an engineer walking you through how they approach things and in a very human way. Cause he talks about all of his flaws and some of his family issues and stuff like that too. And most importantly, um, have you ever heard of a driver named Ayrton Senna? Can't say that I have. Well, he was a driver in the 1990s, um, probably one of the best drivers that we would have ever seen in our lifetimes. And he was killed at a racetrack in 1994 in one of Adrian Newey's cars. And he walks through like what it was like to be the designer of a car that that somebody died in and like all the guilt that he has associated with it. And it's just, it is fascinating in every respect. Like... If you have an F1 fan in your in your life, this is a, a must-buy for them. And if you like engineering or you like stories about people and you want to see people that think differently than you do, read the book. It's, it's just remarkable. I'm so impressed by it. He's actually a really good writer, too. Like, it's so gross. Like, this guy's brain is working on so many levels, and I'm sitting over here, like, staring at an empty page at the end of the day going, what, where, where have I gone wrong? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I've also started uh, Before They Are Hanged, which is the second book in the first Law trilogy that um, Ray got me started on. Mm-hmm. So I'm about uh, a third of the way through that, and I'm just going to keep chewing away at that. Um, much like the first book, it's been a... You know what? I think you said it in the last episode when you described Stephen King's writing style. The books are the same way. Like the first half of the book, you're like, is this going anywhere? Because it's setting up dominoes. And then the second half of the book is all about the dominoes falling. And so now that I kind of know that, I'm seeing the dominoes get stacked up and I'm really genuinely excited to see when they start falling. So yeah, I've been really, I've I've been on a tear of, of good books lately. I've been really lucky. Nice. All right, moving on to video games. Um, I don't have a ton, do you? No. no we both have two. Um, I think you went first last time, but I'll go first this time. Uh, F1 Manager 22. There's a surprise. Did you think I was going to get that? Yes. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I did. Uh, that was sarcasm, kids. I know. It's awesome. You don't actually drive the cars. You are sitting on the pit wall, giving them all their strategy. And it's pretty much the only way that you can ever make Ferrari make good strategy calls. Because in real life, Ferrari does not make good strategy calls, despite the fact that they've been an F1 team for almost 75 years. Not that I'm angry about it at all. That's all. I'm done. F1 Manager 22 is super fun. I'm having a great time with it. And yes, because I know you're going to ask, I play them in real time. That means every race is several hours of my life. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm so into it every time I do it. Nice. You know what, Jonathan? I uh, I don't like F1. I'm not planning on getting into it because I I don't know. Doesn't seem like my cup of tea. I'll watch I'll watch one for you eventually. I'm sure. But I just want to say uh, that level of nerdity towards the thing you love, I uh, I have nothing but admiration and respect for. You know what I do on my lunch breaks, Robert? Mm. I have the F1 TV app on my phone, and I have a subscription. It's how I, I, I watch all the all the races because I'm I'm the kind of crazy that watches all three free practice sessions and the the qualifying. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned this. You've mentioned this. So so on my lunch breaks, I'm actually rewatching old seasons of F1. I'm currently watching the 2012 season of F1. Uh, for those of you in the know, that is of course Sebastian Vettel's second championship in a row, um, in honor of Mr. Adrian Newey and all of the wonderful work that he did. Uh, I am watching uh, his four peat. 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, uh, where they won four championships in a row because that that's that's how good that car was. <laughs> nice. So there you go. That's that, yes, I am like yes, that is that is I am super nerd in the F1 space. 1000%. I I've watched these seasons many times and I keep going back for more. And then um I think I mentioned in the last episode, I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation 5. Um, Still going. I'm about, I'm in Act 3. I have about 80% of the islands uncovered. So I'm thinking I must be pulling into the, uh, pulling into the last act here real soon. Uh, I have uh, managed to get my character completely maxed out on stats and um, progression. So now I'm, I'm just kind of rounding it out and, and, uh, doing all the side mission stuff. I've gone insane with this game. I've gone full OCD and, uh, I'm going to hundred percent it. Nice. Wow. hundred percent. That's, that's impressive. Well, so here's the thing. And, 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 and like, this is the cool thing about modern video game systems. The game saves everything you do. Like if you pick something up, it saves. If you move into a new area, it saves. It's constantly saving, which is awesome, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it also, because it's PlayStation 5, it turns on very quickly and it saves the state of the game so I can come back to it at any time, right? So because of the nature of the game, it's an open world game, like I can go in if I've got an extra four minutes and I can just spend four minutes exploring, like picking up a little, a, a few supplies or or getting myself to the part of the map I need to be in or, or you know, like uncovering some, some bonus section, some little side quest. And so I'm, that's how I'm chipping away at it. Like if I've got five minutes, I'll chip away at it. And, and it's, it's just slowly working at it. And, and yeah, I'm going to hundred percent. it. I'm having too much fun. I just really enjoy that game. Nice. It's adult Zelda, man. All right. Well, uh, I fell down the rabbit hole of city skylines and then city skylines announced that they weren't going to release another expansion. So to not burn myself out before the expansion came out, I stopped playing that. And for whatever reason, my, boys because they love the minecraft they wanted me to play dragon quest builders too so i've been playing that i fell down that rabbit hole again and i've been building crap and uh but i'm uh i'm surprised about how much fun i'm having playing that that game again but it doesn't matter because i'm pretty sure the new expansion will come out tomorrow or the next day you know they they have like blogs and stuff about you know the new features on the new stuff and the very last blog is always like all the free content you because they they release a patch with it and it, the patch comes with some free stuff you know like like games do these days. Um, well, that blog comes out tomorrow, and historically, when that blog comes out, that's also the release day of the new expansion. So I, I think my Dragon Quest Builders days are over, and I will be back to City Skylines next time. But we will see. We will see. It kind of sucks that I have an episode to edit right when that. Well, that's upsetting. Sorry, Boo Boo. Mm. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. I love you, though. Mm. You know it. Back at you. So we played Knights Black Agents. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's getting good, man. Thank you. Stop messing with my niece. (laughs) (laughs) You're making it very hard to be my character because my character is not thinking straight right now. Does your your character think straight? What? (laughs) Okay. Granted, he's quirky, but now he's thinking emotionally. (laughs) <laughs> when did he stop <laughs> okay like extra emotion <laughs> i i uh i don't think you know <laughs> uh I've, I've got my screws in all of you guys it's fun I've, I've been having a good time so yeah yeah i don't know if you know this jonathan but the the game basically has six parts to it Right? It's a trilogy, I guess, you know, two parts per. So we're on part four. So we're like the end of Empire, man. I got to do some tragedy to make the the victory in the next part worth it. Just saying. I'm just saying. Things are about to get real ugly in that game. Real, real ugly. Why you got to go mess with me that way? Oh, not just you, buddy. I'm going to mess with everybody. I'm going to mess with everybody. It's so good. Well, I'm having a good time. I, I, I'm... I'm very excited about where it's going. Yeah, that uh, that whole system is fascinating. Like, you know, like, I don't know if you guys believe me or not, but I, I literally had no clue what was going to happen in that game. <laughs> like, when we walked into it, like, I there was no plan. I, I had an adventure, and I gave you guys some stuff, and I just saw where it went, you know? That was it. That was it. I I don't know. You know what I mean? But it actually meant that like your choices matter because there, there's no plot to railroad you through everything. Everything I'm doing is based off of what you guys are doing. And and but that's half the fun. That's life. I, right? Uh, right, right, right. But it, it's weird because when you get books for a lot of role playing games, like they hand you a plot. It's like, here's the villain. This is what they're doing. Here are your little vignettes that you're going to get involved in. 
yada, yada, yada. See, I always assume that somebody's going to do something and like go and read it. So I always alter the, alter it anyway, but that's just me. Right. Right. But you know, I, I, not that I want you to read the book cause, uh, I am borrowing, you know, a lot of stuff from it, but yeah, like I'm not that person. I am not I, that person. I, well, if you want to read it after, after we get done, just to see how A- it actually. Oh well, yeah. Afterwards. Absolutely. But I don't want, I don't want to spoil it. Like I, I want to enjoy the but, plot. But my point is there's, there's not a lot to spoil. Like, cause every, everything is just like built on everything else. Like they, they have a lot of connections and you just sort of go through it. And as you work your way farther up the chain, like things are supposed to get more and more intense because you're working, you're getting to Dracula, you know? So like, I, I mean, think about it this way. Okay. So if part six is you're at Dracula, <laughs> that means part five is you're at, you know, whoever directly reports to Dracula and you guys are at part four. So you're, you're, Basically, at this point where you're moving in on like the upper echelons of Dracula's conspiracy, like, you know, things are going to get bad. Like, like you're, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, we're, we're, we're at an interesting part. Well, I'm excited for one. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing too, like, uh, to be honest. Okay. So like what's happened is, uh, his character's niece has gotten bitten at least twice. Uh, you don't know how many times she's been bitten at this point, but it's at least twice. Oh, man, am I going to enjoy reaping my revenge? Just saying. But, you know, so and and and, and I keep saying I, I want to get me my Lucy. But, you know, that's that's what's going on. Like Dracula seems to have his sights because he, he wants the players to back off. Right. He wants you guys to back off and you guys aren't backing off. So he's not backing off, you know, and it's and it's. But like, am, am, am I going to get your niece? Am I going to get my Lucy moment where you're going to have to, you know, where Van Helsing or whoever is going to hand you a stake and say, go by the grace of God and strike hard and true? Or, <laughs> you know, are you going to save her? I don't know. I know what Dracula is going to do and you guys could stop it or you guys could go do other things. And it's kind of all up to you what you guys do. But, you know, mm, so good, Jonathan. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get my Lucy. I want my Lucy, but I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to get her. So we'll see. We'll definitely. Oh, you're not going to get her. We'll, you're not going to get her. Assuming we play but before the next episode, we'll find out. That, that should all come to a head next time. So that'll be good. That'll be good. I'm glad you're having fun. Uh, I'm glad you're having fun. I am having fun. It's fun. Super fun. All right. Well, let's move on to board games. Um, hey, surprise, surprise. You and I have been playing Welcome To. Yeah. Still. You know who's been playing Jaipur with me? Who? Brendan. Nice. You know who's not been playing Jaipur with me? Me. Yes. I knew that. <laughs> Breaking my heart here. Breaking my I'm heart. I'm sorry. I, I need to watch a video and I just I keep getting distracted by life. The kids are in school, though. Things are finally calming down, sort of. I guess. Or they will, hopefully soon. I'm getting through a backlog of stuff at the moment, which is nice. Yeah, I'm not at that point yet. I wish. It must be worse with teenagers. It'll be better for you once Carlos can drive because then he can get his ass to his own stuff. <laughs> oh, man, like that needs to happen sooner than. And then you put in, you, you just give him a phone and then you make sure that you track his location. So you just always know where he is. Yeah, that's what we've been. We already do that. Yeah. We were supposed to play stuff, but your life got in the way. So, uh, yeah, it's been crazy lately. Too many too many kid things. We're, we're officially back in sports season, so it, it gets a lot more complicated from here on out. Uh, Ray and my wife and myself, we played Intervention in real time, which was much better. That was a good time. I almost pulled out a win. Yeah, I could see how that would, would work a lot better. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we had a good time. It was fun. 
And we just chatted a little bit and whatnot. Adulted. Talk to adults. It's fun. Talk smack about you. Were your ears burning? That's fair. Did they burn? They should Probably. They <laughs> I'm just kidding. We didn't talk about you. Well, I mean. I wouldn't have cared. We, we mentioned you weren't there, but that was about it. We didn't talk about you. We didn't say anything bad, Jonathan. Nothing bad was said. I, I promise. Um, if I promise too hard, does it sound like I'm guilty? Because I'm not. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, um, well, I've had a couple other board games out. I've had uh, Dune House Secrets, which I'm not going to dive into any kind of detail on since that will be a uh, deep dive soon enough. Uh, same with Trudvang Legends. So, like... Literally, I haven't gotten a Kickstarter at the house for quite a long time, mostly because I haven't been ordering a ton of stuff, but um, True Bang Legends and Jurassic Park both showed up on the same day, which I thought was really funny. Hmm. So um, I have started to read through True Bang Legends. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm kind of falling in love with it already, just for no other reason that it's a game with pockets on the board, like plastic pockets, so that every time you play it, you're laying out different cards and it's, it feels like a different game state. And that's, that's always awesome. Nice. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's being prepped. Doing House Secrets is being prepped, and then uh, got a couple of games of Jaws in, which we're going to be talking about later this uh, episode. So we're not going to say anything more now. Groovy. I think that's it. Which I think brings us to the end. Which means it's time for our first break, and when we return, it will be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, where we'll be bringing up all the news and, of course, quite a few other things, like our favorite, the Stephen King king and all things segment where we are sometimes torturing ourselves and sometimes uh rewarding ourselves with uh stephen king uh, movie goodness so yes it'll be all back after these uh quick messages we love getting feedback so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following you can become our patron over at patreon search for forgot my dice we also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Ah. Oh. I'm going to cut his cord. And it's now time for our Wisdom of the Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about all the news that's hit in the world. You have heard of eBay, I'm sure? No. What's eBay? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> uh, it, it happens. You sell things there. They take a rather healthy percentage, and um, then they overcomplicate your life with lots of emails. Your personal mileage may vary. But anyway, eBay has made an interesting purchase. They have purchased TCGplayer.com. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. And I'm like, eBay? $295 million purchase. Wow. Which will make eBay basically the most trusted marketplace for Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! And basically anything in the CCG world. 
Yeah, when I uh, when I owned the shop, uh, we actually based our singles prices off a of TCG player. I remember that. That well, we, 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 we would actually just physically look it up and, <laughs> and see what it was going for at the time. Well, you're not alone, apparently. And eBay sees value there, and they're trying to get into that space. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've, they are expecting their acquisition to be completed by 2023 at this point, and there's nothing that looks like it's going to get in the way of it. So, uh, yeah, eBay, the new owners of TCG Player. All right, well, Jonathan, uh, there's a lot of Wizards news, but the big one, we've mentioned it before. They're coming out with a new edition of D&D. It has now got a name, and it's not going to be the 50th anniversary edition or whatever nonsense. It will be one D&D because they have said it has grown beyond editions. It is its own thing. So it will be very heavily based on 5th edition D&D. Plus, they are making an online tabletop using the Unreal 5 engine, complete with 3D minis and a, as they say, robust dungeon creator. That's kind of cool, actually. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, they do that weird focus thing where it makes them look tiny because like the focus is really close. I, I forget what mode that's called, but they, they were talking about it in a little thing. It's cute. Anyway, the, uh, the playtest has officially begun. They released a packet. And more people have downloaded that packet than downloaded the packets for the entirety of the fifth edition playtest, which had like four or five rounds, if I remember correctly. And and by rounds, I mean like complete, like, like almost the entire player's handbook <laughs> size stuff. So it's few people have downloaded that few people. Uh, the survey's up for if you have thoughts on it. I, I have already given them mine. Overall, I liked what I saw. It's it's fifth edition, but they've. Uh, clean some wordage up and done some stuff uh the only thing i don't like and this is my personal preference and if you like it don't listen to me i apologize but they added in a new race where they just basically said people like animal people you know like cat people and frog people and turtle people have been a thing so they just added in a race that can have multiple types of animal heads and i'm like well that's just lazy <laughs> yeah that seems uh like shorting them all of their origin and their culture and what makes them interesting and unique yeah, yeah. The, the the race is basically Tiflings, you know, but instead of having demonic blood, they have blood from the upper planes, the angels and whatnot. And a lot of the angels do indeed have beast heads. So I, that's not out of line. It's just kind of like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to throw in a race to make the animal people happy, you, that like anthropomorphic animals, like you've already got Tabixi and a, a ton of there's a ton of stuff like just pull on your own lore. Don't shoehorn something in. I but, mean, like, you know. There's more to a grift than than just the fact that it's got a hippopotamus head. Right. Like there's a whole culture there. There's a whole, right. you know, like flavor. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. I appreciate that. So anyway, if you like that race, I apologize. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old grognar and I don't like new things. You can ignore me at your will. But I am excited about the new edition of D&D. And you know what? I don't have to use that race in my homebrew setting if I don't want. So eh, I don't care. I'm going to have to firmly agree with you and not from the perspective of being a gatekeeper, but from the perspective of that's just lazy writing. <laughs> just plain lazy. You know what? Here's here's a secret DMs out there. If uh, if you make a world, you don't have to allow every race and every book into your homebrew game. You can just limit it. My homebrew game, I only allow humans, uh, furbolg giants, dwarves and half elves. I think. Well, that's well judgment has officially been been given. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but you're spicy tonight, so. I am spicy tonight. And you know what? They had it coming. They had it coming. They had it coming. Is that from Chicago? They had it coming. <laughs> Probably. I don't no, know. No, he had it coming. Oh, man. Oh, God. I hate that soundtrack so much. Uh, it's a, yeah, terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, when the movie came out, there was a theater guy at the Borders I worked at, and he put that CD in every 
day he was there. You know, there's there's easier ways to um, remove yourself from existence. Just slowly grinding yourself down with the Chicago, especially, God, Richard Gere singing, man. Ugh. Anyway, if you like that soundtrack, I apologize. It, it, it. I don't. Dro- it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. But you're spicy today. Anyway, Jonathan, your next story. Let's, let's stop. There's too much negativity. We're a positive podcast. Yeah, but you know, sometimes things earn it, and I feel like Chicago earned it. He had it coming. Ah, All sorry. right, moving right along. <laughs> uh, Dominion, you've heard of it, right? Indeed. Well, it was released originally in 2008, and as of this year, we are getting expansion number 15. Dominion Hot dog. Plunder. So Arr! Arr! The expansion. It takes you out on the high seas, where, of course, as a good pirate will do, you'll be in search of treasure. Yes, this is adding over 500 cards, 40 new kingdom cards, a bunch of treasures, all kinds of new rules. It's the OG deck builder, right? Right. And now there's a whole lot more of it. So there you go. Dominion Plunder. I wish I remembered the rules to that more so I could do a pirate voice and talk game. Because maybe there's Yarr, zombie that. You be I, building your deck there, matey. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember any of the rules. I remember really liking that game, but I haven't played it in forever. You know, my experience is, yes, it's an excellent deck builder. It is a classic because it introduced the genre, but it's been done better in like a half dozen times. And now it's completely reliant on its expansions to um, to kind of stay pertinent, you know? And and I'm not taking anything away from the game. It's still a brilliant first swing at a brand new genre. Like the whole genre exists because this came. But I do feel like other games have kind of capitalized on that momentum in different ways that are more interesting. Mm, 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 mm. It's the Gandalf problem. Yes, absolutely. But whatever. Now you, there's 15 different expansions to make it uh, feel different. So I'm, I'm sure you can find a flavor you like. Speaking of flavors, uh, Wizards of the Coast announced Dragonlance Deluxe Edition, my friend. What this comes with is they're coming out with a new Dragonlance book uh, at the end of the year for a, a setting called, I think it's Shadow of the Dragon Queen or something like that. Um, and there's going to be an attached war game uh, that you can actually take your D&D characters into. So if, because uh, they decide Dragonlance is going to be the, the war setting. And so... If your players get involved in a big grandiose battle, you can use the uh, rules in the book to just kind of roll some dice and make it happen. But if you're the type of people that want to have a long and gritty two-hour battle, (laughs) you can port your characters over to the board game and uh, have your characters lead an actual fracking army on a board game, which sounds kind of fun if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, The Deluxe Edition comes with both and additionally... Uh, and this goes back to something we talked about earlier uh, with uh, the D&D Beyond. It will come with uh, codes to get all that content in D&D Beyond in one package, which... As it always should have. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially now that they own it, they don't have much of an excuse anymore. So yeah, I, I have it's a feeling... It's 2023, okay? It's the same concept as if I go to the store and I buy a Blu-ray. You know what? I am expecting to get the 4K, the regular Blu-ray the DVD and the digital all in one package. That's just the expectation, right? Like, right. I don't know why they were fighting it. I, I don't think they were fighting it. I think uh, they just, they, now they own D&D Beyond. And I, I think what we're seeing is uh, what the shape of D&D one is going to be basically like they're, they're, they're testing, adding their ability to add stuff in, I guess. You know what I mean? You, know, you get it. You get it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very glad that they're finally embracing digital the way they are. I, I legitimately am. 
I just wish it had not taken this long, you know? Oh, there's a whole story to that. But we don't have time. This is not that segment. Uh, what else do we have? Um, there's a new imprint in town, and it's owned by an old imprint that you know quite well. Asmodee has a new imprint. Um, the, the, the same juggernaut that you know and love now has a new imprint called Office Dog, and Office Dog is all about licensing and new designers. Um, you got a design that you've been working for, and you think it'll fit with one of the existing IPs that are controlled by Asmodee, which are a ton, because remember, Asmodee is now part of the Embracer group. So you can get in on stuff like Hellboy, Umbrella Academy, anything from Gearbox, like Borderlands and stuff like that. Anything from THQ Nordic, like Pillars of Eternity or um, Saints Row or anything like that. Anything from Dark Horse Media. It's all under the Embracer group. And now you can build a game suited to one of those IPs. And Office Dog is the studio that's going to help you do it. They have no designers internally, none. It's all about working with both established and new designers uh, and mating them with the IPs that they think uh, they they are going to do best with. Well, Jonathan, Wizards of the Coast has announced its product slate for 2023. Uh, in winter, we are getting keys from the Golden Vault, a collection of adventures centering around the theme of heists. So fun stuff. Spring, we are getting The Glory of the Giants, a book focusing on giants, kind of like Fizbin's Guide to Dragons, which will be fun. It's summer, we are getting The Book of Many Things, uh, which is a new book, kind of like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, stuff, but it is centered around the deck of many things. Summer, we are also getting The Fandelver Campaign, which sounds like a placeholder name. Um, that is the adventure from the original starter set, which I guess is now out of print from what I was reading. Uh, they're going to expand it into a whole campaign thing so you can play the whole thing through uh so that'll be fun and then in fall we are getting a new setting we are going to get a box set much like Spelljammer, called uh planescape which will be a new version of planescape which is a fun setting it is very strange it's good stuff uh if you ever play torment planescape torment that's that, that that's planescape so there you go i like it i like it you know what else uh wizards is doing hmm do you remember when they announced universes beyond I do indeed. I do indeed. For magic, right? Or yes, actually, no, it was, yes. it was everything. It was all the, it was, it was a Hasbro thing because they did crossovers with a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, it is, it's just, it's, it's a, it is a Hasbro thing. So, um, basically it's collaboration between intellectual properties, right? Stuff that exists outside of the Watsi brand and bringing it in to the Watsi brand. So the first pairing was, um, a Warhammer 40k property in the form of commander decks, uh, for yeah, Magic yeah. the Gathering, right? Right. Well, we are now getting the first in what is called the Wizard Wizards Presents line. And that is a team up with the BBC, Doctor Who Magic the Gathering. I read about that. So there will be four new Commander-style decks. Um, it'll have different card styles, different boosters, uh, and the cards are going to cover 60 years of Doctor Who history. Multiple doctors, multiple villains, multiple companions, multiple locations, including a bunch of stuff from the upcoming season. Hmm, fun. So the official title is Magic the Gathering Universe Be Universes Beyond Doctor Who, and it's scheduled for release sometime in Q3 of 2023. So there you go. There you go. Watsy thinking well outside of their normal boundaries. Well, my last bit of Watsy news is uh, October 7th through 9th is Learn to Play D&D Weekend. If you have a friend who wants to learn how to play D&D, send them to a game shop. Uh, they will either run a short 20-minute demo that does like, you know, you get handed a character sheet and told to roll some dice. 
or they will play a short part of the Dragons of Stormwreck storyline. Yeah, it's just a good weekend if anybody you know needs to learn to play D&D or, you know, they, apparently there is some swag. So if you want to pretend you don't know, I don't think anyone's going to turn you into the uh, Watsi police. So just saying. I mean, if anybody's got their own police force, you know it's Watsi. That'd be funny. Like yeah. like, a, like a Shadowrun style private police force. It'd be Hasbro police. But yeah, yeah. You know, it's like drop the drop the bootleg transformer. That's just a GoBot with stickers and you know it. <laughs> Sir, back away from the poorly Xeroxed deck. <laughs> Is that an unlicensed PDF I see in your front seat, sir? <laughs> You're just standing behind your, your thing at the uh, the game shop, and all of a sudden the guy... Uh, Please step away he, from the gaming table, sir. No, the guy just gets sniped, and yeah. somebody <laughs> comes in, and it's just like, he was selling counterfeit cards. He didn't even know he bought them from another person. It's like, I don't care. Hasbro police. But he got it from Amazon. <laughs> Doesn't matter to us. He had him. Hasbro. Had him. Tell your friends. Man, the, oh God. See, see, that's the, that's the dystopia that we actually live in. Like I could buy that more. Like we got. It's funny that we're making that joke, but did you remember that picture I posted in discord the other day? Yeah. The, the sticker on the Simon game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's legitimately a problem. So if any, like I said, if anybody's going to have a police force, it's going to be, it's going to be Watsy. You know, I, I, it's just another sign of the boring cyberpunk dystopia that we live in where, you know, the private police force, we could see it with Hasbro where they're enforcing IP stuff with My Little Pony and not like anything cool like like we saw in the, sh- in the cyberpunks in the past. Back away from the unlicensed pony, <laughs> sir. <laughs> sir, I'm going to tase you, sir. Yeah. Friendship is magic, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I'm moving on. Speaking of other companies that most likely have a police force, uh, Embracer Group, also in the news a second time in our news segment, uh, because they have made another acquisition. Surprise, surprise. No way. Yeah, I know, right? But this time, they're going back to Middle Earth because they have purchased Middle Earth Enterprises, which is, of oh, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was, of course, I should say, a division of the Saul Zentz company and controlled all of the IP licenses for basically everything uh, on Tolkien's literary works that included The Hobbit, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, even the Cimmerillion, Cimmerillion, Cimmerillion. I don't know, man. I don't know. Does anybody really care? I hated that book. Next. Oh, yeah. That that hot take. Hot take. So you may remember that the Embracer Group has purchased a lot of things. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games, uh, which came along with Days of Wonder Z-Man Games. Uh, they have Catan now. They bought Plan B Games recently, which was, of course, Makers of the Century uh, series of games. Yeah, Catan Studios, Dark Horse Media, THQ Nordic. They got a lot of things. So... Yeah, adding, uh, adding, and in fact, this kind of couples with our last uh, uh, news story. Now you can go make a Lord of the Rings game. Just saying. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the news, which means it's now time for a king in all things. Welcome to part 19 of our 42-part series, A King in All Things, where we're watching all of the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date. And we have a couple of cool extras that we've been throwing in, and this is one of them. We're taking our way back machine to 1997. Mr. Robert Lundgren, talk to us about the TV miniseries known as The Shining. 
Stephen King's The Shining, thank you very much. It was directed by Mick Garris, made for $21 million, and we don't know what it was made because that's not how they do it. But, but parts one and two were number 12 for the week, and part three was 14th. All three nights had a combined viewership of 58.3 million people, and between the first and the last episode, they only lost a million and a half people, so eh, pe- most people stuck around for it, which is good. Which is a minor miracle, because let's talk about how this is a tale of two shows. <laughs> you have part one, which is a hot mess. And then you have part two, which is a mild mess with a topping of, oh, now I'm starting to see where you're going. And then we have part three, which is an exercise in brilliance that doesn't quite stick the landing. Yes, but it mostly sticks the landing. It's, it's, it mostly does. It mostly does. But it is, it's not 100%. It's, it's mostly like after they leave the hotel, if you just stop right there, it'd be fine. Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, maybe not fine, but better. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's better than what we got. Yeah. So, um, so how do you want to do this? Because there's a lot to discuss here, and it all ties together, but it kind of doesn't. What I would say about this TV miniseries, for one, I'm 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 really glad I watched it. Like I I, I am too. I, I liked it because it was much. But I almost the book. didn't. I I know. I oh I know. Um, but here, here's what I I I. Uh, Here's what I think. I think if you want the experience of reading a Stephen King book without reading a Stephen King book, this miniseries is perfect because the first episode, actually the first two episodes, like the first, I've said before, like the first half to two thirds of a Stephen King book is him just methodically just setting up dominoes, just setting up all this random stuff. And, and you're like, why are we talking about blah? And, and it's just so dull sometimes. And then man, in the third act, when things start getting toppled over, oh my God, does it just like flow and everything comes around again and it's, it's brilliant. And, and, and like, you know, everything's like a Chekhov's or is it Chekhov's gun? My God, I don't, whatever. Everything, everything pays off and it's, it's amazing. And that's, and that's exactly what this miniseries is. Like the first two episodes are real hard to watch. Not because the acting is bad. It's not great, but it's not bad, but and the effects are 1990s TV CGI. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's let, let's just take a moment to acknowledge how far TV level CG has come. Yes, agreed. because my God, in the 90s, the gap between what we saw here and what we saw in Jurassic Park, it's it's like watching reboot and up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty bad. It's terrible. It's terrible. Oh God, the mouth. Do you remember the mouth? Yeah, the mouth on the Or as fire. I like to call it, look, the Tommyknockers escaped and made it into this movie too. Hey, yay. Okay, so so let me let me kind of riff on what something you said real quick. Mm-hmm. You're right. It this is closer to the way one of the books works, and that's both a pro and a con. It's a pro because unlike in the movie, you really do get a chance to see the manipulation of the spirits, right? The manipulation of the ghosts, how they weasel their way very slowly into Jack, how they take over, how they they modify his thinking, how they manipulate him to get what they want, which is the chaos. Yeah, right? Jack Jack is actually a character. He's actually very yes. likable. Like you're, you're rooting for him even though he's kind of awful, but he's trying to be better and you could, you know, well, like I he, mean, he, like like anybody, he's flawed and he's acknowledging his flaws and actively trying to fix them, although also in a flawed manner. But uh, he is a human. He's a human being, which is not something that we got in the movie. No, in the movie, I mean, like like with the reveal that his play he's been working on is just sheets and sheets and sheets of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like, yeah, he's been crazy from the the jump. And 
the yeah, and that's what Stephen King didn't like about it because obviously, obviously Jack is is Stephen King. He just you know that I, 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 that is my theory. <laughs> oh no, yeah. I think you're I think you're 100 percent right. Struggling yeah. with an addiction, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean it's all there. Yeah, but but here's here's the thing that that doesn't work, and it's mostly a problem in the first episode because they have so much time to to breathe and so much time to tell story. They do a lot of diving back and forth in the timeline, which is fine. That's that's a good positive way to build the characters. It's a good positive way to show the changes in the character. The problem is that it's done in such a fashion here that it's very difficult to follow, and you don't realize that you're time hopping half the time, even though you are. It only becomes evident later, based on some dialogue and based on some things the characters say, you start to put together, oh, this was like five, six years ago. Right, and yeah. It's just, it's very poorly handled by the show. They don't do a good job of telling you that you're either in the present or the past. They don't do a good job of differentiating them. And, you know, we, we've seen this done so many times in so so many different positive ways, whether it's hints by leaving things around that have dates on them or using a different tone or using a different filming style, or any number of things, right? There's there's lots of different ways that you can differentiate between timelines. This does none of them, and it's very confusing until you realize what they're doing. Well, this movie, I think, predates uh, color timing, that uh, a lot of media now has used that to a great effect, where they'll have yeah. like different color palettes physically for different storylines or just different time periods. But but you you don't even have to do that, right? There's there's other ways that you can do it. You can do it by by like having a, a, a news program be on in the background and using some piece of history from five years ago. Like it, it, there's lots of ways. I, I agree. I agree. But I, I think, honestly, I think McGarris and or just the medium of TV at the time just wasn't up for doing this right. Like I spent the whole movie wishing that Mike Fanagan had done this because like watching the haunting of the overlook or, you know, that would be an amazing, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but cause the, he, uh, he also, there's a concept now of like liminal spaces where just things devoid of people and that are very still are kind of creepy. And it's a big thing. And with the kids these days in the back rooms and all that nonsense, but there's a couple of times I wish they had held shots longer and not had anything happen because just an empty room, an empty room is inherently a little creepy, but there's way too many times that they, you know, it's like they show an empty room and then like, you know, the chandelier moves and this thing turns on and like a whole bunch of stuff happens all at once. And it's like, you know, I wish, I wish they had just the, the thought at the time to like hold a room and, as and let it be empty. Like, and let, let, it, let, let its creepiness just be inherent. Yeah, because, like, one of the things I really liked about the movie, although they totally subvert it with dialogue, is, like, they mentioned that they have to put a lock on the door of the freezer because doors always swing open in the Overlook. But then during during the actual movie, every time somebody walks through a door, they they let the shot linger on the door, and the door closes by itself every time, which was cool. I, I, I like that. It was creepy. They should have they should have but, acknowledged that. But there's the more effective ways to do it, right? Right, like, right. But what, what I'm saying is I, I wish that like the first shot of the overlook you that they had, you know, it was like the first couple, it was just an empty room and nothing creepy. And the first time you get the sense of something weird happens is like a door closes behind somebody. And then, you know, that they they let the the weird stuff happening in the background, you know, just have some time to breathe. But they, there were far too many shots where just a ton of stuff happened all at once. Like, and like it was one just, of my favorite things that Flanagan does, for instance, is he he likes to keep the ghosts in the frame even when they're not the subject. 
Yeah. Like they're always there. They're always hiding. And you could totally do that with this. You could you could have oh, a ghost yeah. be in the background just yeah, looking yeah, the, normal, like an extra. Or you could have the shot be centered on people. And if you want to talk about the doors moving, maybe just in the background, you just see a door shut. You know, little things like that. Just be more subtle about it. Like Right, right. Uh, but yeah. That that's the way to inherently make more creepiness. And you're and you're right about not being afraid to show an empty room. And how it's creepy. Let me tell you, I've started going back to the office every so often. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing creepier than being in an empty office. Like, it's no. just inherently creepy. And I'm, like, one of the only people there. And sometimes I don't see any other people for hours on end. And it's really genuinely unsettling to be walking through a building that's meant to house hundreds of people and be the only human there. Right, right. Well, I, we've all seen media where somebody's walking through an empty building like that and you pass by a cubicle or a space that you can't see into and something jumps out at you. And it's that fear. It's that fear that at any point from any direction, something could happen. And that's why it's creepy. And even if nothing does. Um, anyway, fact, yeah. If nothing does, genuinely, that's, that's, that's a hugely engaging thing. Well, yeah. And how awesome would it be for like the first half of the first episode, they just linger on shots of the overlook and nothing happens. And then the first thing that happens is all of a sudden like a chandelier starts swinging on its own in the background after a long beat, yeah. you know, like like it, it would have been much better. Or, or you see nothing in the background for an episode and a half. And then all of a sudden, one of the ghosts just casually passes in the background. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did, just like the, the you know what it is? You remember in Signs? When mm-hmm. when the first time you see the alien moving on that news footage and it moves from behind the bush to another bush, mm-hmm. like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how creepy that was. You just do that in the background. Right, right, right. And maybe even nobody catches it, but I bet somebody will. And I bet it'll inherently like everybody's brain will see something move and be like, oh, no. Right, exactly, exactly. And and honestly, you could have a ghost just in the background of one of the first shots that looks like because the, 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 the be- I don't know. Anyway. That's neither here nor there. I, I I think I think just in 1997 or six, whenever this was seven, 97, when this was filmed, I, I just don't think they they had. I don't know. I don't think they they just had the language to do this or the you know whatever. I don't. They just didn't do it right. And and the first episode really suffers from it because it's it's there's a lot of stuff going on. You're right. It po- that one much more than the other two episodes pops around in time a little bit because, you know, Jack's history with breaking his kid's arm and why he got fired from his teaching job. They show bits of that, which is fine, but they don't handle it well. And it's just throwing a lot at you. And you're like, why is this important? And like, like they, they set up the ending of the damn show in that first episode. It's amazing. But like until you know what's until it all falls together, it's, it's just kind of the sloppy mess. And you're like, what, what is going on here? And, and I get why people compare it unfavorably to the Kubrick thing. Cause the Kubrick thing is so taught from the jump, but then again, there are no characters in it. Like everybody's an archetype where at least in that, this, that's the thing, like the, the, the Kubrick thing is all about the tension and not about the character. This is all about the character and not about the tension. Yeah. Yeah. It, I wish it, we had it, a happy it, medium. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be, there's something to be pulled from both versions of this to make the whole better. Now I will say this. Um, another thing that you mentioned was the fact that it's a 90s show, which means it was shot on video. It wasn't shot on film. And it shows. It shows. That's both a curse and a blessing. Now, a lot of the times it's a curse because it makes everything look cheap. It makes it just all the sets look cheap. Everything Mm -hmm. just looks cheap. That's just inherently a video problem, right? But when it works is when they start showing off the ghosts, like the very first encounter in the bathtub with the bathtub ghost. That yeah, is yeah. genuinely made more upsetting and creepy because it is so bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
You know, yeah, not- things like that, you're usually seeing them creep in and out of shadows. And and when you see something like that in a fully bright thing, it's almost more unsettling because it's like, why are you in the brightness? You're supposed to not be in the brightness, you know? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, the, the first episode especially is a slog. The second one is improves as it goes on, like a lot, a lot. And and then we get to the third episode where where they pretty much I I'll say they stick the landing even though the last ten minutes of it are are bad. But, oh, but the last ten minutes though is so bad. But like everything pays off in that last episode. It's it really amazing. does. It everything. Does. To be to be absolutely fair, it really really does. And uh, in the book, Jack doesn't have a fire axe. He has a croquet mallet, which they wisely figured out was a really stupid idea because croquet mallets are not that threatening. So no. they. It, they invent a game called Denver Croquet where the mallets and the balls are bigger. And so he's got this like cartoonishly Comically, oversized. Yeah, it's, it's like something out of a, a, a Joker or a. a <laughs> like a like a Looney Tunes cartoon where yeah. you like reach behind you and you have this giant crazy mallet. You'd expect the Joker. Or you'd expect Harley Quinn to be brandishing this thing. Yeah, but but it works. And because it, do- he- it totally does. It's ridiculous, but it really is effective. And because it's not an axe, he can actually hit people with it. And like, and there's no blood or gore. So they got away with it on TV. So like the part where he goes after Wendy, he hits her quite a few times with that mallet. And it's, it's really painful, even though she spits up a little blood, but it's like worse. Cause he, he really does beat her with a giant mallet. And it's like, oh my God. Ah! Cause like, you can imagine getting hit by an axe and you imagine getting hit once and you're like, well, I'm probably dead by then but getting hit by a mallet over and over and then jack acknowledging like it's gonna take me a while to kill you with this thing it's like oh that's so much worse yeah, <laughs> it's like ah. yeah, it really is <laughs> but and 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 steven weber plays jack in this and steven weber he, he's not great but he's not bad but when he goes into full crazy jack he does crazy jack real good like it's real believable i mean he's he's where he needs to be by being on tv i'll just say that yeah, but when ooh, that last act, he 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 nailed it like that. He, it was it was very unsettling. It was very creepy. And also from the beginning of it, where he's really trying hard to do right by his family to his headspace, just going completely off his rockers and trying to kill his family with a cartoonishly giant mallet. It's it's frightening. It's really scary. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, like that last episode I was on pins and it's an hour and a half. And I was like, I was on the edge of my seat for most of that. Like, cause like, yeah, the, the, the third episode, like the crazy starts pretty quick. Like it's, yeah. it's, ugh. no, the third episode, especially compared to the first two is, is, you know, like flooring the car after, after cruising for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everything, oh, it, everything pays off. It's amazing because yeah. And, and in that respect, it's, it's really quite brilliant. Yeah, because spoiler alert, he uh, he says he says very early on, I would rather kill myself than hurt my family again. And the end of the movie, um, it has the same uh, uh, or sorry, spoiler. Uh, but the the ending of the the show follows the book, which is the boiler explodes in the basement instead of them the hotel persisting uh, like it did in the movie. And yeah, Jack Jack goes down to the boiler and makes sure it explodes because he would rather kill himself than hurt his family again. And he knows he can't fight the ghosts off in his head forever, but he can do that. And that's what he does. And, and, you know, everything pays off. It's brilliant. And then, and then, and then the last 10 minutes happen where they flash forward to, uh, the, the near future of yeah, the, I believe, the last 10 minutes is, is basically like, Hey, I bet you thought you were watching something brilliant for a moment. No, let's, let's remind you real quick. This was a made for TV movie. And now we're going to assault you with 10 minutes of pain. 
Yeah, yeah. The near future of 2005 where they, <laughs> they oh, wrap gosh. up everybody's characters. Yeah, it was bad. So, so now yeah. comes the immortal question of where do we park it? Um, because this is definitely not great, but it's definitely not bad either. And it's a pretty much a balance of good and bad. So the question is, like, it's definitely not bad. All right. We're not putting it. We're not putting it into the, the fire starter and below category. I don't think. No, no. Like, I, I don't see it even coming close to that. But conversely, I also don't see it as anything better than Salem's Lot. I think Salem's Lot is a lot more coherent and a lot more well-told and, and, and paced, especially because of that first episode. That first episode does a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, personally, I think it hovers somewhere around Needful Things because Needful Things had some great performances, but otherwise was a bad movie. And this was a much better movie that paid off much better, but had eh, all right performances. Nothing, I, again, nothing's bad. Like, nobody is bad enough that it takes you out of it. It's just not, not you know, Rebecca DeMornay and the kid, I forget his name, and, and Steven Weber. They're, oh. Everybody's fine. Yeah, but, but, they're fine, but they're also not great. Yeah, but 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 Steven Weber, in that last episode, he did, blah, blah, blah. yeah, I bought that. I bought, I bought him, his crazy Jack was, was yes. The, <laughs> he the, was the problem for me is when, when it, when it shows off its TV-ness, it really shows off its TV-ness. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but late 90s TV had a flavor to it. And this this is this is the buffet of that flavor. Yeah. I I, I would agree. I, I think Needful Things is better. Okay. I can go I with that. I don't think Silver Bullet is better, even though one could make the argument that it's more interesting. But that's just the Busey effect. Yeah, I would say Silver Bullet's definitely more fun because of the Busey effect, but it's not But it's scary. not as good. It's not scary. Yeah. No, no, it's never scary. It's never scary. Yeah. All right. So that would place this as 10th on our list, which is pretty much smack dab in the middle, which is exactly where it kind of feels like it wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, of all the King movies we've watched, the dark half is like, in terms of everything, is probably the middle. So it's it's definitely above the curve, but not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in the center component. It, it's yeah. definitely in the center component, but closer to the the good side than the bad side. Yeah. Oh, much much better than the. To, good to side. remind everybody, our Hall of Fame is top five in order: Misery, Dolores Claiborne, 1980: The Shining, Shawshank Redemption, and Stand by Me. That's a hell of a slot of films. Really, realistically, that's that's five Oscar caliber films. Followed very closely, and, and I'm only noting this because it's also a made-for-TV movie, uh, Salem's Lot in sixth. Salem's Lot was a wonderful surprise. Our, our, our run of shame is basically everything after The Running Man, where we have, in order from 15th to 19th, Firestarter, Cujo, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, and finally, Thinner. Or as I like to call it, why did this ever get made? Let's just burn all the copies. Yeah, we uh we need to find something else that's worse than Firestarter. I don't like Firestarter being on that list because it's not. Oh, it's but it's not, boring. It's boring, but it's not bad. There's nothing in it that's offensive. Like that's it's why just, it's fifteenth and and not Cujo bad. Right, right, right. But but and I, and, and, and here's here's what we keep coming back to. There's some big gulfs in this list. Yeah, like oh. like the gulf from Needful Things to the Shining TV series is huge, and and the gulf from Firestarter to Cujo is huge. And even the gulf from Cujo to Thinner is huge. Like, let's be fair. <laughs> like, Cujo and Lawnmower Man are not good movies. No, no, and no. And they're no, no. problematic. 
But Carrie and Thinner are downright disgustingly bad. No, no, no. The Lawnmower Man's pretty bad, too. Like, the, all three yeah, of those. Yeah, all three think, of those. yeah you're right. All, all three of those. Cujo's just, just crappy. Well, Cujo's <laughs> boring, and then they menace a child to get an acting performance out of him, which yeah. is kind of hard to watch when you have kids. It's like, because that kid's obviously actually scared. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, that's not acting. And it's like, oh, I don't want to watch that. That doesn't make me feel good. So that's that's <laughs> that's kind of where we're sitting right now. There's There's some distinct stages to this list is what's what what we're starting to find there's really good there's kind of good and then there's distinctly bad i don't know if you like a good ghost story i, I think the the you could do far worse you could do far worse than watch that but, miniseries but i'll it's, say this you are going to want this you're, you're going to want to chase this with a palate cleanser of uh like you know house on the hill uh or any of the mike flanagan stuff yeah, that's yeah. your palate cleanser for this. That takes the ideas laid out here and executes on them appropriately. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, well, that brings us to the end of a king of all things. Uh, join us in our next episode. When uh, what are we talking about in the next episode, Robert? Apt pupil. <sighs> Ooh, I've got some good memories there. Let's see if it holds up. I'm very curious. I'm very, very curious. All right. Moving on, it's time for our Year in the Life segment. This is, of course, our segment where we took a, uh, take a look at what we deep dove a year ago. And we get to talk about it again. And a year ago was, uh, oh man, really? It's been a year since that? Okay, yeah. what, what were we doing a year ago? Forgot My Dice, episode 114, kicking the dust off. We reviewed... What the heck Dune Imperium. We? Dune Imperium, there you I go. I can't believe it's been a year since that review. Also, Dune Watch is back on baby because Josh Brolin has reported that he is back on set. He's ready. He's uh, filming Dune too. Yeah. Yeah. All his episode of the hot ones, he was talking about getting in shape for it. So yeah, we, yeah. we have officially returned to Dune watch, which is good. Cause I've got no less than two additional Dune games coming in, in reviews in the near future. Nice. They licensed the crap out of this one. All right. Um, and so far they've all been good. I, we haven't had a stinker yet. That's good. Um, all right, so Dune Imperium, which is still legit, still so good, so damn good. And now I've got that expansion. Mmm, tasty. Oh my, I read The Shining this time last year. That's funny. Cool. <laughs> what else yeah. did we do in there? Oh yeah, this is when I read the trilogy, where I read The Haunting of Hill House, The Shining, and then Dr. Sleep, which actually work very well together in a weird way. Um, we were still playing oh, it's Welcome to... It's going to be a minute until we get to Dr. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were, we were still playing welcome too. God, we've been doing that forever. Um, for all mankind foundation. Oh man. I just watched for all mankind season three. Woo. What a scorcher. Uh, and what were we doing for King and all things? Cause that had fired up. Oh, maybe that was the shining. Maybe it's been, wow. Has it been a year since the original? Oh yeah. Wow. What, what it, weird timing. I guess that worked out well. <laughs> nice. Nice. I like that. Well, well played fate. <laughs> well played. All right. Well, that tells us what we were doing a year ago. And now that tells you it's break time. And when we return from break, it will be time for our deep dive where we're going to be closing out the summer with everybody's favorite subject, getting eaten by a shark. So until then, we'll be right back. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. 
And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And this is a very literal deep dive because that's where these things go. But um bum bum. It's not my fault. It just kind of wrote itself. But we we improv this. We are, of course, deep diving Jaws. It's a it's like the best way to end the summer, right? Yeah. Little good good old classic summer horror. Yeah. Yeah. Man, the sequel to the Jaws had the best tagline ever, and it was not great, but it was better than Jaws 3. You know what else was better than Jaws 3? Huh. Literally everything. Was Jaws 4 better than Jaws 3? Well played. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes, because Michael Caine. Michael Caine's kind of entertaining. Yeah, you know, there is that. Let's not discount the Michael Caine factor. I'm going to agree with you there. Isn't that the one with Louis Gossett Jr. Or is that three? That's three. Okay. How, what is it with the Jaws franchise, like attracting really good actors uh, to to absolutely craptacular sequels? <laughs> I don't know. I do not know. I'm moving right along. Yeah. In Jaws, one player takes the role of the killer shark. Which totally should have been named Bruce. Missed opportunity. Yeah, totally missed opportunity. And, and and there's a distinct lack of Bruce everywhere we talk about this game. Just fun fact. Okay. Well, we're going to call him Bruce from now on. Off Amity Island. While the other one to three players take on the roles of Brody, Hooper, and Quint to hunt the shark. Character and event cards define player abilities and create game actions for humans and the shark. The copy on this game is terrible. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. Because like it, expl- it it pretty much explains everything. Like it's just it's just like it's not really like a, a zinger. It's more like just the condensed rules. So that's all I ha- that's all I got. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> Jaws is an interesting one to talk about in general because it, we're actually talking about two distinct games here. Because the game comes in two phases uh, or two acts, if you will. And in Act One, uh, it's a completely different game than in Act Two. So shall we dive in? Ah, yeah, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Act One. Act One involves. You good? <laughs> I'm fine. Go on. All right. Uh, <laughs> Act One. Act One involves Amity Island, and uh, the, the game board is as such. When you unfold the game board, you are actually looking at Amity Island. Uh, it is completely surrounded uh, by water, as islands will be. You put all the pieces down. The pieces are represented by boats and little meeples. Um, and you've got uh, one person playing Bruce and the other people, whether it's one player or three players, uh, playing as the heroes, which are, of course, Chief Brody, Quint, and um, not Brody, uh, Hooper. 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 Yeah, regardless of whether you're playing one-on-one or three-on-one, the same number of heroes are always going to be present. Uh, the, the game is balanced for it, and I personally like that. It makes the game better. There's no weird adjustments for player counts. You just always play with all the heroes, and that's the way it totally works for me. So once you've got the game board down, um, you are going to shuffle and place down your event cards. Event cards are, are one of the uh, phases in, the, um, in this act. Um, and uh, there will be a lot of swimmer tokens that you are going to be placing down on the board. And basically what it is, is in act one, the game occurs in three distinct phases. Phase one is the event phase. As we discussed, you're going to grab an event card. You're going to take a look at it. The event name is going to be a a moment from the film, uh, say Amity Island in the news. 
uh, you are going to see a line that's going to tell you where the swimmers go. And the swimmers are going to be based on the directions of the island. Because there's four basic segments, north, south, east, west, um, where you can play swimmers on the island. And the card might say like N-S-S-E-E, basically telling you one swimmer in the north, two swimmers in the south, two swimmers in the east. Then there will be some event text. The event text could uh, have some game-breaking, game-changing uh, effects on it. So, for instance, that Amity Island, Amity Island in the news card, the event phase might be place one, uh, or pardon me, uh, one crew member will get an extra action in this round. That's a good one. Sometimes they're not so good. Um, and it will also feature a frame from the movie, um, you know, appropriate to whatever event you're talking about. Now, that takes us to phase two, the shark phase. In the shark phase, Bruce gets an opportunity to do stuff. Now, Bruce's movement is completely hidden, which is awesome. Bruce has his own map of the island. Bruce has a special uh, pad that you will keep track of your motions on to make sure that you can show the other people what you were doing, uh, make sure it's legitimate. And what's interesting is as you move around, because you're underwater, you don't always have to tell the crew what you are doing. You are uh, running around as the shark and you are trying to eat swimmers, avoid motion sensors, and potentially employ one of your power tokens. So you only get to do two things in any given turn, move or eat a swimmer. Now, when you're moving around, if you move past a motion sensor, you have to tell the crew of any motion sensors that you triggered during your turn. Now, the reason I say it that way is because you don't have to tell them right away. You just have to tell them at the end of your turn, I triggered this motion sensor and this motion sensor. You also don't have to tell them the order that you triggered them in, which means that you can do some tricky stuff with your movement. You can double back on yourself. You can do all manner of stuff to try and throw them off of your, um, off of your trail. Very Fury of Dracula. That's one of the things I really like about this game. Uh, the motion sensors are being put down by the, uh, by the heroes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the last thing is you have a couple of power tokens. These are single-use tokens. And they let you do some, again, game-breaking stuff. So, for instance, there's one called Feeding Frenzy, and that lets you eat all the swimmers in your space as a single action rather than the traditional eat-one-swimmer action, which is what you have. Um, there's also a power token that could be out of sight. If um, one of the heroes uses their binoculars to try and see you um, or their fish finder to try and see you, you will not be seen because you've used your out-of-sight token. Uh, it's one of the few ways that the game lets you lie in positive ways. Finally, you'll come to the crew phase. And in this phase, it, this is where we get to see the heroes really kind of chip in. And the heroes are very different from one another. Um, all the heroes have a basic move action, which lets you move across the island or move across the ocean if they are in a boat. Um, you also have a rescue one swimmer option. And then things start to get a little bit different. Quint, for instance, can pick up barrels and launch barrels. And barrels are how you're going to try and get a hold of the shark. Um, the, you know, Quint is on the orca. The orca has a harpoon gun. The harpoon gun is attached to these barrels. And getting two barrels attached to you is one of the ways that the players can win phase one and start phase two with a better, better situation. Brody, for instance, lets you move and rescue a swimmer just like Quint. But you also have the ability to pick up barrels just like Quint, drop barrels off at the dock, or use binoculars. You can't launch the barrel itself, but you can use your binoculars. Uh, if you are at one of the four beach spaces, 
you can actually use your binoculars and uh, the shark has to announce if they can be seen from that beach. You also have the option to close a beach, which removes swimmers from that area. Uh, again, one of the many ways that the game is asymmetrical for the heroes. Finally, there's Hooper. Hooper has a speedboat. He can move around Amity Island considerably faster than anybody else because he can move up to two spaces in an action uh, when he's on the water. He too can rescue a swimmer. He too can pick up barrels. He can give barrels to Quint even if they're just on the same space. You don't need the dock to do it, which is uh, something that uh, uh, Brody needs. And Quint, or pardon me, and Hooper has a fish finder. Uh, and that fish finder lets you see the shark even when they're underwater and hidden, which is awesome. So you'll go through the phases there and act one will come to a conclusion if the crew attaches two barrels to the shark or if the shark manages to consume nine swimmers or more on the board. All makes pretty, pretty good sense right there, yeah? Yeah. All right, so now we get to act two. And in act two, you flip the board over and there what you'll see after you put down a couple of uh, tokens is the orca in good running condition. And the reason I say in good running condition is because during this act, the shark is going to get an opportunity to attack the orca, which is going to have you flipping over sections of the orca to destroy, to show a slightly destroyed version. And then eventually removing cards from the table altogether, showing a completely destroyed version in which that chunk of the boat now becomes just a space full of water, which the players can move into, but of course become much more susceptible to shark attacks. So, Act 2 setup is pretty straightforward. You're going to um, shuffle all the shark ability cards, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, crew members are going to get some gear. Uh, that gear is going to correspond to who they are. And then um, we're going to randomly distribute the crew cards. Pardon me. Uh, we're going to shuffle the, uh, the crew gear cards and randomly give them to the group. Um, and then we're going to place the gear cards up next to our character boards flip all the character boards to the Act 2 side because there's some differences, again, uh, because the gameplay changes so dramatically, and we are going to get to playing. So, in Act 2, there's six different distinct phases, but they all rattle off pretty darn quickly. Number one is the resurface options. So you're going to turn over the top three cards of what's called the resurface deck, and this deck is nothing but cards that show different ways that the shark can surface and attack the boat. Um, the boat is divided into eight spaces. And of course, there's three heroes on it, which means that at any given time, there's going to be five spaces that the shark can attack without a person on it. You're going to reveal the top three resurface cards. And you're going to put one at spot A, one at spot B, and one at spot C. The shark then gets to choose which of the resurface cards they're going to utilize there's an evade component where you can shake off um, basically like the attacks that are coming in at you as the shark. And uh, you're going to put the corresponding tokens. You remember, you're putting one down in slot A, one down in slot B, one in slot C. You're going to place those corresponding tokens out on the board so that um, you know exactly where the shark is going to attack. Step two is that the shark is going to choose which of those three spots that they are going to play. Uh, they're going to play that card in front of them, and then they are also going to have the option of choosing to play a shark ability. So shark abilities are one-time use cards that enhance the shark's turn in one way, shape, or form or the other, and um, they are all very different from each other, and definitely all of them are breaking the rules in, in a specific way. But you only get to use them once, so you have to be real careful. 
Step three, the crew is going to prepare for the shark's arrival by moving around, choosing weapons, and placing target tokens in the places that they have decided to target, thinking that the, that is where the shark is going to come up. Uh, crew members are going to have the choice of melee weapons, firearm weapons, and attachable weapons, which are close-range weapons that will then attach to the shark, doing more damage. Step four, the shark is going to reveal uh, what they are doing, and they are going to discard the two resurface guards that were not chosen. They're going to put their mover where they've decided to surface, and they're going to get an opportunity to do the shake-off component, which is where they get to potentially dodge one of the incoming attacks. Then... The shark is, uh, the, once the shark surfaces, if the crew is in the proper spots and they have the proper setup, they're going to get a chance to attack, which is going to involve the first and only dice roll in the game, which is the attack. So, um, based on what weapon you're attacking with, you're going to uh, know exactly what you need to do in terms of dice rolls. And um, it's pretty simple. You're going to look at hits afterwards and you're going to figure out whether or not it is equal to or less than the shark's evasion value. And if it is higher, then you are going to take a hit as the shark. And of course, the weapons that you you utilize are going to have different damage results on the shark. Finally, in step six, the shark is going to get a chance to attack. And that's where they're going to get a chance to damage and potentially destroy large sections of the boat and attack crew members who have fallen in the water. So the game's going to end in one of three different ways. Um, if the, all three crew members have been eliminated, Bruce is going to win. Yay, Bruce. If the orc has been destroyed and all the boat tiles have been removed, Bruce wins! Yay, Bruce! And if the shark's wound tracker reaches this the X value, well, that means Bruce has gotten blown up and the crew's gonna win. On the plus side, this is a version of the Jaws mythos where Quint may in fact survive. Huh. Well, there you go. And that, my friends, are the rules of Jaws. You've got a hidden movement game, and then you've got a uh, whack-a-mole, guess where they're going to appear, and whack them upside the head game. Two completely different games wrapped up into two acts that are both really, really good at capturing the feel of the film. Before we get going, I found a piece of essential kit for this game, and I'm sending it to you in Discord. I want you to take a look at it and agree with me. All right, Discord, 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 Discord. Yep, I want all, I need these. So what I sent Jonathan was, I think, wave nine of the Deep Cuts unpainted miniature line by WizKids has a shark. And, and it comes, it comes with, with a shark fin. It comes with an optional, fin. just fin. Yep. Just the fin. That's not even op- that's, not, that's not even optional. It's just a fin. It's both. No, no, what <laughs> I'm saying is like, you know, you get to choose whether or not the shark is surfaced or not. Yeah, yeah. Seems, uh, seems like important kit for this, this game. It's out of stock. Unfortunately, I know it's out of stock. It's out of print. I, I bought one actually a while ago. I have no idea where it is, but I bought one. <laughs> oh, man. I totally pimped my, bo- my my Jaws box with that. That is dope. That is a hell of a lot better than the wooden Bruce token. We'll tell you what. We'll, we'll, do this out of, we'll do this out of order since I brought it up now. But I was just thinking about that existing. See? That's why we have to re-record these things. This stuff would not be here if I hadn't thought about it now. Um so you mentioned it, it's wooden meatballs and stuff. So the, the components are pretty basic, yeah? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's it's a mass market game. I think it was a Target exclusive for the first six months. It, it's a Ravensburger game. So, I mean, like, you can get it for 20 bucks on Amazon. 
it's it's not like the world's best components or thickest box or anything like that. That being said, it's wooden meeples, it's wooden boats, it's a wooden triangle that forms the jaws, the iconic, you know, shark coming up from the bottom form. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it all works. It all, it all works just fine for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, uh, it's the same printer, I would bet, that did the Bob Ross game. So that that's the kind of quality of card you're getting and uh, cardboard component you're getting. It all works. It's all fine for what it is. You just, you know, don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's a $20 mass market game. But that being said, it's a $20 mass market game that is remarkably deep. Like, there's a really good game in here. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at the Board Game Geek, and people have made 3D versions of the ship that actually pulls apart. Oh, are you kidding me? No. No, I am not. Send me those. Here. Oh, damn it. Do I need to buy a 3D printer? <laughs> That's really cool, man. Look, they've even got the two states. Ooh, this one's way better. This one looks... I'm not sure if it's handcrafted oh, or not. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh, that one's amazing. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, that's so cool. That is so, so yeah. cool. Yeah, Good that, for that them. is something. Look, they've got the little shark icon. Do you see it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... oh, yeah, yeah, that's that mini. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they got it, they got it. Yeah, yeah. I like that mini too much. I'm not willing to part ways with it. You can't have it. <laughs> you know what you should do, though? Because just because WizKids itself is out uh, doesn't mean all the distributors are. You should maybe call your local game store and see if they either are sitting on it for some reason or, uh, you know, can get it via somebody else. Yeah, I might have to do that. That's pretty cool. That is a pretty cool. That would that be mini retail perfect, for five bucks. Yeah, that's that's a perfect addition. That's that's a good five bucks to pimp, pimp the game out. Yeah, I got a couple barrels. Anyway, okay, okay, back to the review, uh, or the deep dive. So how does the rulebook uh, do explaining all that? So the rulebook's pretty straightforward. I mean, like, there's, there's not a, a ton of complexity. That's not where this game gets its legs. It, the game gets its legs from just good, solid mechanics, right? Like, hidden movement that's handled well, um, good asymmetry that, that's handled well. So the, the rule book is very, very straightforward. It explains each phase of the turn. It all makes perfect sense. It explains each character individually, which I really appreciate. Um, and it, it, it's really good. The only downside to the rule book is it does not have a condensed uh, rules cheat sheet on the back cover. Instead, it's got an FAQ, which is very, very handy as well. But really, I mean, like, come on, folks. Cheat sheets help. They really, really do. I hate having to page through the rules to refresh something, you know? Anything else off in the execution besides a lack of cheat sheets? Not at all. I mean, like, you really do have to take the price point into account because you are getting a game that is perfect for that price point. I, I think you're getting a whole lot more game than you you would expect from a mass market Jaws game. I really wasn't expecting a ton going into it. And man, am I glad that I gave this a shot because this is this is a really good hidden movement game. It's super fun. Um, there was another title that came out that was an unlicensed, uh, shark attack game, shark Island. I think it was called. Yep. Not so great. It had much better physical execution with, with much better components, but like the game itself was boring and not great. And this game is really phenomenal. Just goes to show that you really got to nail the gameplay before you worry about the, uh, the accoutrement, so to speak. The recommended player count is moot because it's four. What? One Bruce, three people. I mean, it's, it's, one it's a minimum of two, a maximum of four. 
Um, but the game always plays the same way. There's no adjustment for player count. You're either just everybody gets a hero or one person has two heroes, one person has one hero or one person plays all three heroes. It functions all the same way, which I really appreciate. Don't don't there's there's nothing that that breaks a game more than when you're trying to manically modify a game that was obviously designed for a certain player count and and just try and shoehorn it in and make it work. This works because it's it's very well balanced, especially with between the asymmetry and the the shark powers and it would not work if you tried to change it to accommodate specific numbers of players. I'm glad that they did it that way. Wow, this is impressive. So I'm I'm at Board Game Geek and they have, you know, they have the extra files section like the fan-made stuff. And there's several versions that play the shark for you. Somebody made an app. But, you know, the simple fact that that people are making this cuz it's these are obviously not from the company. These are people. Although there's, you know, replacement shark tracker pads and stuff, but um, that the Ravensburger uploaded, but yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff that people have done. I mean, I, I think that that tells you everything that you need to know about the quality of the game, right? Like it's yeah, got no, a no, it rich community that is supporting it with both individual mods and then, you know, gameplay mods. And that should tell you that the, the, the communities embrace this game because it's legitimately good game in here. It's phenomenal actually. All right. Well, Jonathan, if you had one last thing to say about the game, which is all you get, what would it be? You know, a lot of people... Oh, God, I think we're back to the gatekeeping thing. A lot of people were poo-pooing Target for spending money and trying to get exclusives and do board games. And this is a perfect example of something that maybe would not exist in a hobby shop. Because the Jaws license couldn't have been cheap. And... To make that license work, you have to have mass market appeal. And to make mass market work, you can't have a game that's super expensive. And this game does all that and doesn't forget to be a really, really, really good game on the inside. And we've seen Target do that time and time again. The two Bob Ross games, Jaws, Horrified. Like, the list goes on and on. Uh, This is another perfect example of a mass market game that doesn't forget to be a really good game first. And it's it's a phenomenal experience that is both a good game and it's a game that embraces the license uh, by making each of the acts completely correspond to the game of, uh, or to the movie that it's based on appropriately. It, it, it's really thematic in every way, shape, and form. Like, everything that the heroes do makes sense. Everything that the shark does makes sense. And it's it's beholden to the movie in all the right ways. Enough said. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which, of course, means it's closing thoughts time. That is the end of episode 133 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. And Robert, that brings us to you, my friend. Any final thoughts? So uh, a role playing game that I play tested a while back, uh, Swords of the Serpentine, uh, was written by a guy named Kevin Culp. And during the pandemic, he started watching shark movies jonathan just like we were watching hbo or hbo uh stephen king movies he started watching any movie the only thing is had to have, have had a shark in it that was it i mean there's that a lot to it. choose from uh-huh. <laughs> can't guarantee uh-huh. the quality that you're gonna get but there's a lot to choose from so jonathan kevin culp has watched 101 shark movies dear god that is considerably more extensive than either of our special series yes and and he has ranked them. So I'm sending you 
the list of all 101 shark movies. So, the top 10 are Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, Santa Jaws, The Meg, Ozark Sharks, Shark Night 3D, Toxic Shark, Ghost Shark, Sand Sharks, and Empire of the Sharks. Dear God. I like how several of these are on Amazon Prime, or as I like to call it, the <laughs> truck stop DVD bin of the internet. The bottom 10 are Virus Shark, Dark Waters, Tintoria Tiger Shark, Amityville Island, 90210 Shark Attack, Jaws 19, Sharknado, Sharknado 5, Sharknado 6, oh, 6, excuse me, Apex Predators, Bigfoot, Bigfoot versus, uh, Megalodon. I mean, there's like, let's just stop and think about that for a moment. There's a distinct problem. How are you going to get them together? Like, inherently, one of them will have a huge advantage. It's just a pairing that makes no sense. And last but not least, Shark Exorcist. Man, like, legitimately, that's something I need to see. And it's on Amazon Prime, so you can. And he's got another ten odd movies in the queue. Good. And he, this man's and there's doing eight. The Lord's work. He's doing eight. The Lord's work. There's eight on uh, that are upcoming but not out yet, including Big Shark, Blood Sharks 3D, Deep Blue Sea 4. Didn't realize there were three more. <laughs> yeah, and Ouija Shark. Ooh, Shark Island. Ouija Shark 2. I apologize. <laughs> oh my god. I so I'm gonna throw this out there. Brendan, I know, Brendan First Edition, the professor of zombology, Mr. Pop Culture Professor. I, uh, I think I have a challenge for you, sir. Uh, you say you, you go down rabbit holes on movies. Uh, I think a hundred odd plus movies of sharks is uh, is quite the list. You yeah, could, you could probably done. go. You're, you're coming close to 150 here. I know, I know. So just saying there's a rabbit hole, sir. And, and if... Uh, if a game designer who, who you know, writes the role-playing games about sword and sandals using the gumshoe system can do it, I, I would be much more interested to see what the professor of zombology could do with this list. I'm just saying. Just saying. I'll post it on the Discord. <laughs> I mean, you know what, there's, you know there's really not a title on this list, by the way, that I would gladly dive into for the sake of this podcast. Well, I, I'm wondering what makes Santa Jaws so good that it ranks so high. <laughs> I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't have that same thought. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Christmas episode's coming, Robert. Do we need to keep this in the kitty for for, <laughs> for the holidays? I mean, I'm down if you are, my friend. Okay, sure. Sure, oh, whatever. Yes. yes. All right, that's enough. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This is too much. I'm genuinely excited about this plan, though. I'm now officially looking forward to December. <laughs> ridiculous well <laughs> that leaves us with only one other thing to do other than to go watch Santa Jaws <laughs> and Robert that is be excellent to one another and party on Robert party on Jonathan wow wow that's a hot take he ranked Jaws 3D higher than Jaws 2 that's a spicy take I mean I'm willing to watch both God, I mean, like, we watched Carrie. I'm just saying. Noah's shark? Probably still a better movie than Carrie. <laughs> the biblical shark movie? Okay. I mean, look, I'm not saying that it's going to be better than Carrie. I'm not <laughs> guaranteeing it. Shark it encounters be of the third kind. Weird. 
Jonathan, Shark Encounters of the Third Kind. That's a real movie. Oh my god. Alright. <gasps> we need to watch a lot of these. Am Amazon has one called Sharkenstein. Oh, sweet. I can't. I, this is too much. I... <laughs> like, you just pick them. You just start picking them and texting them to me. You, you, know, you know I'm a glutton for self-punishment. I'm there with you. <laughs> Right. Oh God! Bringing this oh to God! An this end. Is bringing this to an end. Oh, there's another threat. Oh, oh, there's 125 in the. It, this is the current list. This is the current list, Jonathan. There's, there's more. There's more. Santa Jaws is still number three on the updated list. That's nice. Oh, that's you know. It's, it's it, oh, there's so much. Sky oh my sharks. God. Oh, upcoming, upcoming sharks. Coffin Bay. Nice. Deep Blue Sea Four. Did I say- yeah, we, I said that Yeah, one. that was on the last one. Yeah. Oh god, look at the upcoming movies! Thing got bigger! Nano sharks? Come on. Where sea monsters roam. Sharkakuda? Sharkakuda. Great white death. Jaws made for killing. Oh my god, I need that in my life. Deep fear. Oh, so good. Alright, you just- you start texting me what I'm watching. I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm there with you. All right. Party on, Jonathan. <laughs> what have we done to ourselves? This will not end well, but I'm I'm 100% in on the journey with you. By, by the way, Wes, before you say you should do this after Stephen King, no. <laughs> oh, my God. We're so, no. so we're, we're quite literally years away from being done with the King list. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't want to watch crappy shark movies. This is too much. <laughs> is it though? Is it? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, All right we're calling it. We're calling it. We're calling it. I'm stop. I'm stopping this madness. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 